Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe, and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done uh, many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also, check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case. Volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Come around here with his bloody podcasts.
welcome to another episode of Pablo's Poppin' Podcast. I hope everyone's doing okay. We're going to get straight into it this week. Before we do, I want to thank the sponsor, Andrew Kirshner, 15 Showfire Tips for Relieving Back Pain. You heard the advert at the start of the show. He is a real sponsor. He's been with me since day one, and I can't do the show without his support, but he can't sponsor me without your support, so do check out the book, and you can also buy it on Kindle as well. There is a link below the show on Podbean. You can subscribe to me on iTunes. Feel free to leave a five-star review. Listen to various guests. Uh, in the archives, you know, many different names from all fields of entertainment. There's also a professional wrestling podcast called Turn Chuckle, where I've interviewed various well-known wrestlers. I interviewed Lawrence Bowie, uh, who is uh, the head of the Bowie Experience, which we talk a lot about during this interview with my guest this week, Martin Thompson, one of the finest singer-songwriters that I know. He's from Newcastle, and he is putting on two gigs for the Bowie Experience at the Clooney this weekend, as this show goes up. Uh, That's August 4th and 5th. All information is in the interview and on the links below. To come, there are still tickets available. And if you want to hear more about Lawrence, the guy who plays Bowie and does an incredible job, that is in the archives as well. That is the last uh, episode, the previous episode of Pablo's Pop and Podcast. So yes, before we go into my interview with Martin Thompson, this is a song from his uh, band or his uh, collective, I guess. He he writes everything and then brings in tremendous musicians to play with him. This is Alice in Wonderland Syndrome and there will be links again below to uh, find his music and then we'll be going straight into my interview with Mr. Martin Thompson.
objects I've never seen before All I lacked in my wonderland Is a rabbit and a hat on my massive hand Friend, lover, sister, mother, brother, pet, pet, uh, the man behind meiosis, one of the best pop songwriters in Newcastle. I thought you were going to say like the UK or the world there. <laughs> no, just Newcastle. <laughs> not even from Newcastle. <laughs> Shit. I'm not, I'm not even officially allowed to call myself a Geordie because I'm from County Durham. What are you, man? Uh, well, the person from County Durham. <laughs> A code you. Yeah, whatever. You're a code you. Whatever they are um, called. Martin Thompson. Hello. Um, Hello. So, um, what's that song? I, he's a friend. He's a lover. You know that song? Is it in the Muppets? No. Like, th- no, that song. It was sung by a woman in the 90s. <laughs> well, that narrows it down. Uh, it was but a Chania twin. It was the thing where they always rhyme. Where, like, we'll go through all the women who sang songs. They like mother like, with lover. Like, I'm a bitch, I'm a lover. All oh, right, yeah. That one. Who was that? <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Keris Matthews. I'm going to say. Not Keris Matthews. I don't know any other women from the night. Keris Matthews was. People kill me for the edge. That's true. Well, there was another band called Catatonia as well, and every time you met, it's like oh, I'm going to see Catatonia. I'm like, oh, Road Rage, and they're like, no, I'm like, not that one. But uh, <laughs> I've seen space. Oh, well, you've seen space, haven't we? Did yeah. I go with you? 
When the, because they do Ballad of Tom Jones, but they just use the music video for Kenneth yeah. Matthews. Yeah, I saw, uh, was saw Space in the Day and the, the, Did she get the, the arena. Aye. Minimum wage concert. Oh, see, I've heard the legend of this, because Divine Comedy, Space. Divine Comedy, uh, Travis. Oh, not a bad line. Uh, Ash. It's like, brilliant. It was like, all like at three in the afternoon. So you had to be on the dole to go? No, no, anybody could go, but they made, it was £3 for a ticket because the minimum wage at the time was £3 an hour. And they were trying to, <laughs> they were campaign. it was Unison trying uh, campaigning to raise the minimum wage to £5 per hour. And me, me, mate, was like, <laughs> you've got to be realistic. They're never going to do that. <laughs> yeah, but that's back when, like, Mars bars were about, like, 15 pence and, like, £3 an hour is all right. <laughs> it was never all right. It was, it, when you think it was disgraceful. <laughs> It's just absolute. What year was this? 96? Uh, 1990. A bit later? Um, yes, it was later. It was 1999. Oh, okay. So, I've got my ticket. Oh, yeah, really? I, well, I, I collect concert tickets, but only one. I've got. Uh, kept every ticket to every concert that I've ever been to. Right, any. So, every concert that I've ever been to since the first. Uh, my first concert I ever went to was Pulp in 1996. Kept that ticket. And then, are there like any disgraceful? I've got now? them all in a nice little presentation book now. Have you? Yeah, but the, but the problem is now that you get e-tickets, mobile tickets, which is annoying us. What's the nicest looking ticket? Uh, I've just got a, I saw Iggy Pop and Queens of Stone Age last week, and they did a proper nice looking ticket. Proper nice one with a little, uh, yeah. Not many do it. Like I'm last. They make you pay extras sometimes. Do they really? Yeah. Like I want to see the Chili Pepper, and they had the nice ticket and. You might want to see Guns N' Roses, they had a nice ticket, but apart from that, like, do you think they would? Actually, I've got an earlier one, that the po- I've got Reeves and Mortimer from the City Hall in 1995. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's a nice one? Like, no, it's, it's just, it's a paper City Hall ticket. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Hey, you fucking geeks. Okay, yeah, so we're sat, rude dog of the dweebs here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sat in probably the nicest part of Gated, maybe. Um, the, we're sat in the nice part of Gateshead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're actually sat outside on a roof terrace next to a train track. Like it's very nice. And guess what the pub's in called? The, in the central central bar in Gateshead. Yeah. Central bars uh, was in a what's the eighties pop music video that the central bar was in? Was it? Yeah. Is this the height of the tube and all that kind of stuff? Like, no, I think it might have been before that. It was like eighty four, something like that. Proper. Love Ballad by, I can't remember who it was. Oh, was it not um, Prefab Sprout? No, I, really? don't, I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'd have to look it up, but I don't want to stop to look up this information. <laughs> you, you could look it up later and just put it in your little bit at the end when you go, hey, hey, everybody, wasn't he a twat? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Martin Thompson has been a musician. Yeah, that's everybody, sorry. Probably everyone. Uh, Martin Thompson has been a musician for, I mean, about 400 years now. 402 years now, and counting. Oh, I missed the anniversary. Like, <laughs> um, do you know with like anniversaries? Do you know how like the first year is paper, and then it goes up to like plastic, and then sheetrock, and then like yeah, like, straw or something. Yeah, because uh, you only get to sort point. Sort I was going to say by like the 400. <laughs> <laughs> but like for buildings and that, do you think like the four hundredth anniversary is like, like moon rock or something? Or like, just I don't think buildings really care. A bit of uh, okay. So the, I don't know. Asteroid or something. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know. It does because nobody knows because it gets you go like silver, gold, 
What's yeah, the one? Is it diamond after gold? Diamond. And then you die. So nobody, yeah, so everybody after, stops doing it. But after gold, is it like gold plus a tiny extra Frank bit of gold? and myrrh, innit? <laughs> That's how it works. I, funny enough, I was thinking about doing something next year because it'll be... Um, next year will be the 20th anniversary of my first album release, which is scary. (sighs) Yeah, but you've released a lot of albums. You you do like one a year at least. I haven't done one for uh, two years. I'm kind of doing that on purpose now. We did one a year, but I I hadn't done one for um, nine years previous to that. Yo, I like so I did one as a kind of comeback thing and then because I'd left Long Gap and I had plenty of songs I was, can I do one album per year for three years and I set that as a task for myself and I did that and then what happened what, what I should have done is gone I've done that now, move on to something else but what I did was like, I wonder how many I can do so I did another kind of two so I did five albums in five years uh-huh. but most of that was kind of catching up on the nine years where I, I hadn't done anything but yeah, next year I was going to do like maybe it's too much. There's too much stuff now. For yeah. Anybody to kind of oh, can you send us some of your stuff? And you send them for about five hundred songs. It's yeah, yeah. I need to somehow amalgamate the good stuff. Because one of those albums. But when is you, awful. When you think you're doing like your greatest hits compilation, like your best songs, like yeah, anything. I was going to. That's what I was, I was going to try and do that next year as a twentieth anniversary thing. The only person who really interests me though. But I was going to see if I could do it, do what you did, and I'll do a Kickstarter and say, right, we'll release this, but we'll, I'll put it on vinyl, uh, just to see if anybody would be interested. And if it, the, I wouldn't need that much money to actually do it. Sure. But if it succeeds, succeeds, we'll do it, and then everybody gets those records, and then that's the last we'll hear about it forever. If it doesn't succeed, then we'll just not do it. Uh, I, I, Fair enough. I, I'm trying not to just ask you like the cliched questions because you're a musician and people don't know who you are on the whole but what were your early influences in music <laughs> uh, <laughs> what made you want to be a musician what made us want to be a music after well I started with the piano when I was I think it might have been about eight uh-huh. eight or nine when I started well, I just like wanted piano lessons because I just I don't think I, did, I just saw people playing the piano like proper like in a cool way uh-huh. maybe he's playing like boogie woogie numbers like what Jules Holland does. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I want to do that. I don't think it would have been Jules Holland or I would have seen I would have been, it would have been too young. I said, like, I want to do that. It looks really cool. So I went for piano lessons and th- then obviously at piano lessons you're, you're learning songs like uh, uh, I, I can remember one of them. One goes uh, Tuna fish, tuna fish sing a song of tuna fish tuna fish, tuna fish It goes on like that. <laughs> got bored uh, I, I moved what no I, I, I carried that on until I was about 15 my piano lessons but really? I just never practiced only ever got up to like grade 2 or 3 it's not bad I mean were you the only person you knew playing piano uh, it's one of them things in the 90s no I like, think there was this other thing as well some, like the, the, the posh kid would get up in assembly at school and play something really cool on the piano and was like well I want to do that yeah. I, I never got asked to get up in assembly because it, <laughs> it just at, at our school uh, there was one she looked like she was going to have a nervous breakdown all the time, but she, there was one lady who played the piano, did all the hymns and stuff, and then someone must have made the suggestion to have everyone who does guitar lessons to, like, stand around her at the and assembly and all play guitar, like, every day. 
and I think it drove her insane because like some of the chords were hard back then as well so like and it was just was, acoustic did you go to school with Ben Folds that's what he does <laughs> isn't it <laughs> hey come on everybody hey everybody come on get up and play oh, no, play your guitar with the song no let's fucking not let's just sit down and listen to the professional do that's what you paid I for know. you you do it <laughs> it wasn't like 15 guitarists out but there was like 3 or 4 and that's enough to a bit drown out a piano but there was also like about 300 kids singing along so like it didn't yes, really so matter really but um we yeah. did that a bit you know how you look back on uh, on primary school and realize how, how utterly mental it was but you didn't realize at the time that the, the teacher used to play a piano really loud and occasionally another teacher would have a, a like classical acoustic and join in but you could never hear it but it came, the, the, the teacher used to play the piano really loud occasionally if somebody was misbehaving at the front she'd spot them out of the corner but I'd just get up everybody would carry on singing the piano would stop and then you'd just see this <laughs> child being flung across <laughs> the room <laughs> oh, oh, happy, days. happy days happy days <laughs> so like did, when you gave up piano then did you like I never taste? gave it up I just kind of stopped improving I, I, well what I, I started guitar lessons as well well I was going to say like was were you tasting music making you want to play guitar well um, possibly yeah I, well I started doing guitar I'm the only guitarist that I know who actually took proper lessons and also I'm the worst guitarist that I know because I just I just wanted to play I wanted to write my own stuff and I just wanted to like skip all the boring that, that rubbish does. stuff at the start and play the good stuff and so just kind of just carry I found guitar a lot easier than piano so I started using that to write songs because it was just well, you don't easy. have to move your hand so much and like yeah, certain shapes you don't have to like you don't have to go into a certain room the guitar can come to you right writing songs stopped me from improving guitar like playing guitar i think because i just needed chords at that point yeah um, you just need once you've got like three four chords learned then you have a song that's it I, well, i'll just arrange these into a different order every time that i'm an artist yeah <laughs> Um, but I still, obviously, when I write songs, I, I couldn't have. I, you need that basic grasp of piano to actually write songs, anyway, don't you? That's true. I but so, like, so mid nineties, we're talking, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So if I was, if I started piano when I was, no, that would be talking about ninety, ninety, ooh, one ninety two. So what was like? What music were you actually into though? Like at that point. Right? Um, because it's pretty Britpop, so... Yeah. Um, the only band that I've brought with us from then that I still like now is James. I, like I James. forget that they've been going that long. Like, I heard that yeah. they got signed instead of the Smiths by a record label, thinking, like, oh, the Smiths will do now, so we'll sign James. I can imagine, yeah, I think instead James like, looked like, like they were going to be the big Manchester band in the, in yeah. the, uh, in the 80s, or they were, they were better known locally. Because James was still at least doing good stuff until the mid '90s, from what I remember. But I don't really know much of them past that. Like, they'd, well, yeah, they split up in like, the early 2000s and then got back together in the mid 2000s. <laughs> Seemed <laughs> like a long time at the time. Sure it did. And uh, they, they still released. I think they've got a new album out this year. But, so um, did they kind of the predate Britpop then, James, at that time? Because they were heavy. Uh, they were around you in Britpop, and they sounded yeah. like they fit in. They so were very folky in the eighties, and then they went. Uh, it was. I would have been sit down when I. Oh, of course. Uh, when they kind of broke, that's where I would. 
I think my brother bought it down now like that and then um, what year was that like 94 that would 93. have been like 1990 right okay and then uh, Laid and um, Seven they're good albums and then that a bit of a break and Whiplash was a good album so yeah I'd all through the 90s they, they stayed they, I, I still like James but I'm guessing by that question do you want like the shitty embarrassing stuff <laughs> no, no. The well, first you, record you I ever actually bought was uh, Mark Armand, Gene Pitney, Something's Gotten Holding Heart, <laughs> which we're covering now with Mark the Mark and Gene Pitney, I didn't yeah. even know that, that was. A well, that, it was number one. How did you, how did you miss that? <laughs> yeah, so we got. You had um, Mark Ar- It was re- Mark Armand had been covering it, and then I think he asked Gene Pitney, he said, Brilliant. "We could you record this with us oh. as a duet kind of thing." So you got Mark Armand going, "Something's gotten hold of my heart, dragging my soul and my senses apart." And then Gene Pitney going, <laughs> "Then hold it once more. There was something the time that was beast with the devil at <laughs> And it's it's brilliant. <laughs> We, we started rehearsing it, and I was like, I, I still want to do it where I've got a ventriloquist dummy turn up like Gene Pitney. I'll sing Mark Armand like Mark, more or less like myself. Right. And then the Gene Pitney part's going, No, yeah. And I've gone as far as buying a ventriloquist dummy for that that looks like Gene Pitney. It's amazing. See that. It's funny. The night I bought the uh, Gene Pitney ventriloquist dummy, the night I bought Gene Pitney, I had forgotten that I bought Gene Pitney until Gene Pitney turned up. <laughs> and that was a that was a fun day for everyone. Uh-huh. So, like w- with Britpop, then, like, is it because the songs were easier to play? Why you got into it? Because like the first songs I was told to play were like Wonder Woman and stuff. Like that. No, I like Pulp. I did, Pulp would. Um, I liked. Uh, I started getting into Pulp a bit around. Um, like his and hers kind of era. I think the first I'd ever heard them was there was a they did a documentary which was like around do you remember the first time and lots of famous people were talking about losing the virginity on this ch- and it was a channel four half hour documentary so the band had asked them this all the same questions to so tell them the stories and like Reeves and Morton were on that so I'd watched it <laughs> and then I was like I quite like that music so I like do you remember the first time then common people came out which kind of cemented that, and uh, but so I bought all of Pulp's albums because I've re-released them. Also bought every single one and listened to Pulp exclusively for about six months. And I was because I used to just listen to my brother's music, but he wasn't that keen on Pulp. So I was like, "This is mine. <laughs> this is my stuff." <laughs> and I remember him saying uh, once, saying, "You know, Martin, I'd probably quite have liked Pulp if it wasn't for you ruining it." <laughs> But it was on his suggestion that uh, he said, why don't you buy some music by somebody else? Uh-huh. So I went and bought some Blur albums. And then I got, I, then I, I got into the Divine Comedy as well. And they were mine because everybody else. What was the taken. first album you got from Divine Comedy? Uh, uh, Casanova. Yeah, probably. Uh, same with a lot of people. Very quickly, Promenade and Liberation. Uh-huh. Um... So, like, when did you start singing? Like, was there an influence? Or, like, uh, I started. I don't like, think I've ever asked you about your singing before, like, in terms of like, influence. I know because everyone says that you sound like Bowie, and you do. Um, but I'm guessing Bowie wasn't a. Was he on the radar then? No. Because, I mean, mid 90s, but I, I said this to um, uh, Lawrence uh, of the Bowie Experience, who is on another show, which will be archived now. Um, <laughs> 
for the last week's listeners. Last week's listen. Um, but because I, I kind of said, well, the nineties to a point was kind of Bowie's wilderness-ish years. It wasn't like I think it was getting back into being an artist again. Well, that's exactly what Lawrence said as well. Instead of making a, a, a mockery of himself. Yeah, because I know everyone would say tonight and never let me down. Well, like the wilderness years, but they were highly successful. Yeah, have you ever as listened well? to? Have you ever sat down and listened to those two albums? Not all the way through. I'll be honest. It's difficult like. to listen to them all the way through because <laughs> I've tried. I've gone right. Well, I mean, is that did you, you work with Tina Turner and stuff like that? Like, uh, I don't. I don't know anything about that period because I've had no interest in it whatsoever. <laughs> but I mean, there's a good song. I mean, uh, Blue Jean. That's a really good song. That's true. It's in there. Um, I think he said he hated. He doesn't hate the songs, but he doesn't like the arrangements of them, does he? Because he did yeah, like Love and. When did he do Love and the Alien? Was that? Oh, was that? Um, was that a bit later? That's. I think that's around that time as well. That, yeah, because he did that prop how he wanted to later on, didn't he? You've listened to that on the uh, uh, reality tour where he's done it acoustically, and it, 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 you realise actually that is a good song. When you go back to listen to the original, going, I'll give that another chance, and it does just sound like the theme tune to Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, but you don't want Bowie doing the theme tune to Red Dwarf. I mean, he That's did it before Red Dwarf as well. So I mean, so it's like mid '90s Bowie wasn't on your radar. So who was the um, So I started. I want. Well, I was Keep writing songs. So <laughs> if I'm writing songs, I needed to sing the songs, and so I was writing on piano, which was basically just banging chords on the piano and singing the tune to the song. And it was, I was all. I'm really, really bad. Like <laughs> awful. Could, I could not sing, but. Were you able to sing and play, though? Like Yeah, but I mean, the, the, I wouldn't really describe what I was doing as playing. I was playing the piano like a drum kit, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I couldn't sing at all. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just kind of teach myself how to do it. So I think, well, I listened to some records by people who can really sing. Um, so there was a few. Uh, Scott Walker. Oh, of course. Right. I was thought Neil Hannon can sing. Tom Jones, Tom. Bit of, and just listen to the records and just sing along and try and sing it exactly how they're singing it. And slowly over the probably maybe it took two three years, I could then get to the point where instead of just maybe singing in front of my family, I think when I got to the point where I went to college and somebody actually put us up onto a stage and went, <laughs> sing that song then. Uh, if you say you can sing, sing this song, and everybody went, oh, fucking hell, you can't sing, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so were you, you were just singing in your bedroom before then? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Because uh, yeah. everyone's got like a bedroom voice where they think they sound better than they probably are. So like, were you when you sang on the stage that first time, were you think this is going to be shit? And then It, it was odd that when you, uh, you obviously sing through a microphone, you got a monitor coming back at you, and, and the, the sound that was coming out of the monitors, you're thinking, bloody hell, that's not me. <laughs> that's somebody else, that. Who's, who's do, has somebody else got a <laughs> microphone as well? And, and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but it would have been around then where people would start and go, God, you sound a bit like that. Uh, what's that fella? That uh, David Bowie man, like him. You sound a bit like him. <laughs> and I never got that, but so many people had said it, like uh, in an unrelated way. They weren't agreeing with people were saying it independently of each other. That I thought, well, I'll go and um, I'll go and get some of David Bowie stuff. So I've got um, David like a best of Bowie. Good then start, I was like, bloody hell, this is really. Hey, this fella. He's really good. He should do He'll this. Go he <laughs> should do this professionally. He'd get himself on the hip parade. This lad, who's this? And then it just started from there. One, I mean, what? 
there's so many places to go once you start listening to to Boy that I don't think I've, it never ends. There's so much stuff out there. No, there is. It, it, it blows me away as well because like there always seems to be un- if they do like the 30th anniversary of Ziggy or something, there'll be like plus 10 extra demos and stuff like never released before. Like it's insane how the level of unreleased stuff that keeps happening. I'm pretty much sure they say unreleased, but every time I've fallen for that and listened to it, well, well I've heard that before. It's something we've heard. Somewhere. But now, but now I've just paid money for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, especially it's, now, an extra, like, it's an extra two seconds at the start of Bowie, like counting You in get the this a lot with artists who have died as well. I mean, I, I, the, the, you often see a lot of uh, new Beatles stuff, new... I forget that. Of course, two of the Beatles are still alive, but I mean they're not getting back together. No. But it's, how much did they record? They couldn't have recorded infinity amounts. That's true. It's just repackaged, really, or remixed. It's it? the same with the Queen stuff as well. Like, you know, the lots of unfinished demos, but like nothing you could tell. Yeah, this is anything, stuff that like, they put in the bin. <laughs> well, that's why I disagreed with when they did a. Um, it was a proper cash-in thing. It was a compilation of love songs, which they never wanted to do because it should come with a razor blade. Like, two CDs of Queen love songs. And uh, they found... Well, they did the, the Freddie Mercury-Michael Jackson collaboration. I don't know if you ever heard any of it. Mm. Um, and they were meant to be for a solo album, and one of the songs could have ended up on Thriller as well. Um, and I th- actually, I think one of them ended up... A song called Victory, which I think he ended up doing with Mick Jagger or something. But he started That's writing... Like a proper title for a Queen song as well isn't it <laughs> well you started writing it with Freddie but then he finished writing it with Gaga so like it's really odd but I am um, all three of the demos started off as Queen demos because I was just like oh well, there's going to be no John Deacon on bass out like that and there is but there was so many contractual issues where like the Jackson estate wanted his voice higher in the mix and all that kind of stuff and just like, yeah. and it sounded awful and then the first time they got played because it was like a fully unreleased song as well which Brian ended up doing again for Anita Dobson and it's a terrible song and you can see why Queen left it but it is a fully finished song but it was the first time they'd heard the Michael Jackson one on the radio and they sat in the studio and they were like slagging off the mix as as it happened and then they wonder why like no one bought it after they got released (laughs) it's talking about Cashins Johnny Cash is another one have you ever been just logged onto Spotify when right I want to listen to a Johnny Cash album it's so difficult to find an actual Johnny Cash album it's all the best of this the right. very best of this the very very best of this the very 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 best of this <laughs> the greatest hits the greatest very best of hits <laughs> it's so so difficult I did the other when you haven't got enough material oh I guess he probably does have enough material he probably does because all the songs sound the same so he could just regurgitate <laughs> himself over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. uh, but I did, did, Thing when people people do say a lot that it sounds like David Bowie, but I don't actually think that. By the way, yeah. I, but possibly now since he's died, I don't mind hamming it up a little bit. But I don't, never. It became really difficult as well when I was writing my own music. That I, before I'd even really heard a David Bowie song, you'd be listening to a David Bowie album and think, "Hang on a minute, he's nicked my idea," <laughs> and realise there's something going on with that but I suppose that's got something to do with Britpop bands that they were all influenced by David Bowie so it kind of just jumps the generation doesn't it I like Suede like you know the guy out of Suede sounds like Bowie doesn't he like I think so uh, yeah uh, really early Bowie yeah yeah 
Brett Anderson. Don't know if that was on purpose, but like songs like Crash do sound even like the chord progressions and that. I never like, got into uh, Suede because I didn't. I, I always thought they sounded too tinny. Do sound tinny? Yeah. I don't like that at all. I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> They've got that's uh, the the first is it the first is Dogman Star that's a good album you know more than me right it's the one with Animal Nitrate on it oh okay that one that's 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 all right after that that's that's oh that's the come on just turn the treble down on my guitar bit and it'd be a lovely song that so like when did you start Meiosis then was that it was. Uh, officially, it would have been 1999. Uh, what was the thinking behind it then? Just uh, you wanted to give yourself an alias. Was that a Bowie thing to give yourself an alias? So? Um, no, I just wanted a band name. Right. That was the intent. I didn't want it. I, I wanted a band name and a band. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got <laughs> one of them. <laughs> I've ended up with a band name and no band. Uh-huh. But it's it's quite good because it it because I I think. Um, Martin Thompson uh, it's not really I'd have to change that wouldn't it uh, it's too uh, uh, Thompson's a bit of a northern name it is Bobby, Bobby Thompson it would have been are we possibly yeah Bobby Thompson oh, but, but uh, by the way <laughs> no relation uh, my mother has told us that uh, the other choice would would have been Robert. I could have been Bobby Thompson, yeah. which would have been more cool. There you go. Um, so, d- did you try and find a so, band? Then well, I'd written all these songs, and then uh, like um, computers came along in the night. You know, <laughs> computers came along in a thing called the internet, uh-huh. and it became possible to record at home to a certain quality, um, and then I. Do you feel like you were on the ball with it then? Because it, it, it's new. I, I was the like, only person I knew that was releasing songs on the internet. Uh, in the 90s? I, the only person in my intimate circle uh, was uh, still. releasing songs on, on the internet. There was a website called People Sound that uh, you could release. They give you, it, when they started up, for some reason, this might have something to do with it that didn't last very long. When they started up to get people on board with it, to get music, musicians on board with it, they'd give you a hundred pound advance. If you sent them your album, they'd yeah. send you a hundred pounds. Oh, yeah. So I got a hundred pounds. Sent them shite albums, like. Well, me for one. <laughs> yeah, but purposely shite I albums. I sent them <laughs> two. So uh, there was the, the first album was called Myosis. So had fifteen tracks on it, uh. and then. On it, it must have been about three, four months later. I'd, uh, my second album was out, right? Which was called the Melon Shark Legacy. Were people buying it? Um, a little bit. Uh, but the most money I probably made out of that was the hundred pounds they gave me. Yeah. But I mean. But it must of, have felt amazing though that anyone was buying it, like because you don't expect anything to happen, I guess. Like. Uh, or, or did you like were your sights set really high because it was a new exciting? The best thing that came because I had these uh, two albums. Um, and I was at college with uh, music students. So I was at college with music students because I was doing a music course. That's where they tend to hang around, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the, but still, you were, the only, you were the only person doing albums, even though it was a music course for the musicians. Like. I think other people were recording stuff, but nobody had thought about... There was no way to... That, that was the fir- I think that was the first website where you could release music on the internet. Uh-huh. It, was, uh, it was David Bowie was the first person, <laughs> incidentally, music kids, cool kids... <laughs> Um, to uh, release a song for download 
which I think was actually we talked about earlier. I think it was Thursday's child. Was it really? Or it might have been on Earthly. I th- but I, no, no, I think it was Thursday's child, where he was. The, that was the first song that you could download on the internet. Wow. I might have actually. Uh, it sounds like a Bowie thing to do, though, doesn't it? Myosis. First album was out about that kind of, same kind of time. Uh-huh. So there was no there was just because it was like, what, what? How do you release a song? Uh, release albums on the internet? Yeah. Uh, how does that where's work? The internet? What, where, like, where's yeah. the shop? How do you do? <laughs> it was like, it was a concept. That, well, what you do is you go to this website uh-huh. and you can listen to a couple of songs to try it out, and then if you like those, you you know you you get your credit card out and it's a five pounds and they'll post you the album. Uh-huh. And you'd they'd, uh, post you these, uh, they were nice and digifax as well. <coughs> it's a shame I've lost, I, I think I might have one left, but I, 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 my first one I, I lost it. Uh, but um, would, a few people bought it. But I mean, that was it was just the, the forming of the band really quickly because we were, I was hanging around with musicians five days a week who go, well, you can be the drummer, you can be the lead guitarist, you be the rhythm guitarist, you be the bassist. You be the keyboard player, bang! You've got a band in like less than thirty seconds. We'll, <laughs> there's a room over there with all the kit in it. We'll go and rehearse tomorrow night. Uh, and there you go. You've got a, and then within a month you're doing your first gig. Yeah. Uh, so it was easy to get gigs. Like, yeah, I never, I never used to organise them. So they just used to come along. So I never, I had nothing to do, do with like band nights and stuff. I just, we, uh, the first, the first gig we played was at the art centre in Newcastle. Right. I don't know how that came about. We just supported other bands. Or, or one, the, how, did, how did the hear one of the guitarists would persuade somebody else to have us play their gig? Right. Okay. And the, I think that a lot of arm twisting would go on. Uh. We used to support um, a lot. It was the same. It was the same three bands that were always on the, on the bill. It would be us, <laughs> a, a death metal band called Skin Trench. Which um, Simon Chester was in, who does a lot of stuff. He, he was in Myosis for a good nine months of last year, and he's decided that he does he, he does help out a lot still. Was his drummer the bassist? Yeah. He was. Oh no, he's been drummer. Guitar. Guitar. So I met him when I did that one session. Yeah, he was. Right. Okay. Um, and a band called Garage Girl. So Garage Girl, we're like a garage band kind of thing. Skin Trench were, you know, like that, and then us, who were basically playing, not even indie. It was pro- it was like pop. It was real uh, pop music, and um, so reluctantly, whoever was organising the gig would usually somebody in the Skin Trench going, yeah, you know, can play, you can go on first, uh, and there was one night. That at the Angel in Durham, where somebody out of Skin Trench had to get on a train, and we ended up going on after them, uh. and it was fucking crazy. <laughs> it was the best thing as well. I was re- I was really drunk and well up for it, uh. and uh, there was a fight <laughs> in front of us. Some oh, it was did you, did you find proper that rock and roll did you find but up to these pop songs ah. after a death, death metal band did you find that generally like venues were more fuller back then uh, yeah lots of people like it was not difficult to put like to get people to come to your gig we you'd just put a poster up at college and, would and everybody would come because it was the only thing happening no. 
Yeah. So everybody would be there. When I started doing it again, I thought, oh, this would be easy. I'll stick some posters <laughs> up on the wall in the venue. And then lo and it got to the night. I was you'd like, brilliant. I can't wait till, <laughs> oh, yeah, open the doors. And you'd maybe get two, three. Uh. So, like, what was the? How long did that band last? And how? What was the transition that you doing back? Uh, like? So we would have started. The first gig was in two thousand, and our last one, I think, was two thousand and three. It's not a bad run. It's like. not a bad run. We did uh, didn't do that many gigs. Uh, I mean, we did one gig in two thousand three. Possibly did one in um, two thousand and two. Did they play on the albums as well? Um, no, we did a five-track demo where they play. But you were still releasing new stuff just by yourself? Or? Uh, no. I, d I did a third album, but I never released it. Never, ever? No, we had, we had the first album was Meiosis. Second album was the Melon Shark Legacy. I did a third album, which was called Bob. <laughs> Couldn't really think of a good name for it, so I was just like, what's it called? I called it Bob. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I made some cassettes and give them to the band ready to rehearse we were gonna I was gonna release it I was just gonna record it myself and release it and then um, just it was just never got around to doing it Did but all of the all of those just about every song on that album are now on have now been released on me later on yeah. did that band just get bored then or they went to bored? university and, had, and you know developed friends in their life were you, was it like a race to try and like get something up and running properly before they went to uni to try and like talk them out of going? No, so we just from when we started, we knew that it wasn't going to like last beyond November. It just so happened it did a little bit, yeah. but we'd get back together um, just every now and then for one-off. Okay. So at that point, did you start doing the backing tracks yourself? Um, it was I started doing. I didn't perform anything after that um, for about eight years, seven or eight years. Really, that long? Yeah, I, I started. What we started, I started doing was DJing, and then I discovered I wasn't very good at DJing, <laughs> and then uh, we started doing like DJ nights, but nobody was really coming to them. Right. So I was like, I oh, know. Why don't we put like a band on, and then people will come and see the band and then they'll also be there when we're DJing and then the kind of bands got more and the DJing got less so we are right I'm promoting bands now so we just we're putting bands on and every kind of Christmas I'd do something kind of daft or special yeah. and one Christmas I think it was 2010 it's like right I'm going to make some backing tracks for me old Myosis songs and I'll do them like I'll play along with the acoustic guitar and I'll sing them for a laugh and I enjoyed doing that, so I just kept doing that, and I started. I did that for about six years. If it, it feels like you were promoting gigs before then, though, because we did him with you, didn't we? So yes, we'd start. I was. And no, that was no, I don't. I, I never played there. I never did put you a band never on promote there. there. I remember being there. Right. I remember. I was managing a band, I think, at the same time. That might explain it. I definitely saw you there at him. It was two thousand seven when we started doing that. That probably sounds about right. Um. Yeah, we were. That's when we had a band. I was going to say we stopped doing it, but I'm still fucking doing it now. Aren't <laughs> it? It's just I'm, what I'm doing is organising the gigs so that I can play. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it's cheaper than just having a night out campus. Like, 
Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't really go out, otherwise it gets out of the house. Uh, you know, can have a, have a little pint of beer and uh, listen to some music. So was it's a, a nice day out. Was there like, when you started doing it again, though, with the backing tracks, was there like a... Oh, like a slightly naive optimism that it was gonna like just take off and. Uh, so the first time I did it, we did it. I, I just did it for a laugh. Right. And it did okay. I, th- I, th- I thought naively that people would remember these songs. Right. Nah, no, no, really. <laughs> uh, so I, chucked, I started chucking some covers in, uh. and then um, thought, oh, I'm gonna do. It pro- I'm gonna write a new album. I'm gonna do this properly. But it's. Uh, you're, st- you're singing along to backing tracks. It's not. You did it well, though. Like, and you, like, I had to think of any ev- it, every it, possible it, way it, to make that in some way entertaining. Well, yeah, it wasn't just singing along to backing Otherwise, tracks. Otherwise, you might as well just like, put your record on. That's true. So you know, I'd put a suit on. Uh-huh. We'd, we'd have a, so a, a, a entertaining foul-mouthed stuffed toy giraffe. <laughs> if anybody, that was basically be- the, it was Snuggle Nolia. He looked really cute, and he was a giraffe. Still, it's a draft. He still exists. And uh, now. <laughs> well, there's five of them because they get worn out. <laughs> um, exactly the same draft. That was just fear of people heckling because occasionally people would say, "This is re- really, you know, excuse me, you up there. This is really, really shit." And <laughs> and wholeheartedly, in my heart of hearts, I would agree. Snuggle Nolia <laughs> would respond, <laughs> and I'm not in control of what Snuggle Nolia says. Therefore. I, you're not allowed to punch me. That's fair enough. And so you wouldn't punch that little, lovely little cute giraffe. So, so he said some terrible, terrible things, which turned out to be really entertaining. So he just ended up being there all the time. But it was like a little bit of chunks. The original Meiosis also had a, a giraffe called Magnolia uh-huh. and sat on the keyboard. So was, was that a good way to deal with hecklers, though? Because, like, obviously it's easy to get, like, hurt by, like, people just slagging you off when you're on the stage and embarrassed and stuff like that. Did he use that as, like, a... Yeah, it was like it was a good tool. It was got, it got you out of it because uh, it, it was funny as well. It was funny. So like got all five of them exactly the same. Oh. You could say that again. Got all five of them exactly the same. Might have to say it again. It's train going past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, well, there's you've got Magnolia that was the original little kind of farmyard toy thing. Will that train go past left and right like that? Like, what, like, uh, like on the microphones cause it might yeah that'd be class wouldn't it? find out you sound when, actually when when it's actually people actually listen to it and then you say that you'll sound really silly because a little just happened <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh, what are we talking about oh toy giraffes of toy course giraffes, yes yeah. we get back to the <laughs> the most famous toy giraffe since Jeffrey right. there was we had snuggle nolia double nolia mm-hmm. there's a ne- neglect nolia as well which <laughs> I, I found it was lost property oh but I find it funny just to like stick it in the corner. Don't talk to that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't deserve it. Uh-huh. Looks really sad as well. Uh, the the only bit that, that. The last gig that I, I can't remember them all now. Other Nolia. <laughs> There's one that's slightly smaller that I would have gone for something like slightly smaller Nolia or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, the last gig I did with Back and Tracks was at Cluny Two uh, in January. A couple of years ago, so uh, 2016, maybe 2017. Was that a Bowie one? No, it was just it was just my my. It was uh, somebody asked us to play, so I went and played, and I said, "Well, I'm going to make this the last time I do it like this." 
because I, I can't do it on my own anymore. It's too lonely. <laughs> uh, and I brought all the giraffes and Aww. put them up on the stage behind. Unfortunately, the video failed, but there is a nice photograph on the... I put it up on SoundCloud. Uh-huh. And there's a photograph of me with all the giraffes. <laughs> I do the introductions going through with them all and <laughs> just them all. And it takes, like, an uncomfortably long time. To, <laughs> but it was nice. That gig was really nice as well, because the... Um, the uh, I, I, instead of playing songs that I thought that kind of I have to play, yeah. I played a set of like Myosis songs that I enjoyed, and it was actually all the better for it. And I thought, oh, why not just do this all the uh, time? Yeah. Then ended with the Bowie, uh, the Little Wonder. It is part of the reason why you stopped as well, because I've seen you when you've done those sets and the equipment's just malfunctioned, and <laughs> it's kind of messed everything up. Um, and then people are kind of sitting in an uncomfortable silence for a little bit. It's all right if that happens once or twice because it's kind of entertaining. Did this happen way. a bit too often? But it, um, it wasn't. No, it wasn't that. It was. It seemed to take. It was. Mo- there was more effort into recording the backing tracks. Sometimes changing the arrangements as well. Bore the arrangements. Bringing it all over explaining to a sound man what you got to do make sure that you got all the right wires doing a sound check to make sure it sound doesn't just sound I, wa- I usually try to make it all the backing tracks if I was doing it live they had to, it had to be possible that a band could be playing this I couldn't do anything that was the rule Yeah, it was just harder work that I thought this, it would be easier if I just got a band <laughs> uh, <so> like, <laughs> Um, so with the with the tribute accident, what made you want to start doing that? Apart from money, obviously. <laughs> um, see, money's never been. No, I know. I know. I've, I've always been like, I'll be happy. No, it's worth mentioning because you go to a venue and I had to stop saying I'm not bothered about did, making did money. And the venues would go, well, that's a bit scary. If yeah. you're not bothered about making money, why would I want to put? Why would you? Did bands ever like? Said, I just want to break even. Did bands ever have a go at you? Because I know what it's like with promoters. They think, oh, rich promoters putting on us, like taking advantage of us and giving us no money. Did you ever get any of that from bands? Like yeah. misunderstanding, thinking that you were like some rich, shyster promoter. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, is what did you say? Just like, just you turn, fine, out po- just never, turn out your pockets. Never just put them on ever again. That's fair enough. I <laughs> tend to. Uh, I just tend. To to put the bands that I love and trust on, mm-hmm. I'll put them on over and over again. Yeah. So, like, but what started you with the tribute bands then? Um, Probably money. <laughs> well, the the the, um, the the DJ night, at which turned into the promoting bands thing, was, was that uh, well, that, that was largely that was. It started at a place called Stepney's, which was right. it was appalling. Then we were the do- <laughs> dog and parrot for a while, uh-huh. and we moved to that's just close the venue. Red rooms, uh, which is also close to the venue. I'm very good at closing down. <laughs> we, we did, uh, yeah. We, the dog and parrot clo- just recently closed down as a. It's a, a venue. shame because they're the longest Red rooms company closed whilst there. we were there. Uh-huh. The end closed whilst we were there. So we moved to World Headquarters, and it's still the World Headquarters still open. Red rooms is but just was, around the corner from the Black Arter, and that isn't it. It's we did uh, a gig there, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like upstairs. On Nelson Street, round um, you go from Monument to Clayton Street. Yeah, yeah. used to go upstairs. So to be open, it's number. It was a good number venue, nine. From what I remember, nine. when you did it once, but it was uh, thought it was a bit rough. But like, it's that area, isn't it? Like, it was above. Um, yeah, it was above uh, the the black the black at arms. Yeah, which was a rough pub. It was. Uh, 
Sorry, I'm interrupting. But we we started doing because all of that it had it went under various names, but this, well, this, the, we, the, it went under the name of Hanging DJs. Right. So we got Viva Morrissey Morrissey tribute to do when the, when it came to one of those daft things we do at Christmas. Uh. We were at World Headquarters like right, let's get this Morrissey tribute band <laughs> for Christmas for, to play. <laughs> the and, least jolly band ever. Just uh, so th- and we got them in the Dog and Parrot. Uh, did and do well? Oh. No. <laughs> no. No one wanted to hear Heaven is no, Miserable. It was like heaven knows I'm miserable well, now it, at Christmas. It, it, <laughs> musically, it was a triumph. <laughs> Financially, not at all. And I, I didn't deal with that very well either because the place was full. And I was, as well, it's the kind of thing when, you, when you're promoting bands and things, you take all the risk. The venue always win because you get all those extra people into the venue. And there were a lot of people turned up to that. There were probably about 80 or 90 people turned up. And you, 80 or 90 people in For that those who don't know yet. In there, I, that's, I think, as many as you'll get in there. Yeah. Uh, we probably were about 150 short for paying the band. We were putting posters up for that. We were putting po- we'd made a poster of Morrissey. <laughs> and, <laughs> and DJs and what it was and things. And uh-huh. people coming up to us in the pub when we were putting... Uh, yeah, is yeah, man, uh, Morrissey playing here? You're like, no, no, it's just uh, an explain. So my mate goes, why don't we just say yes, <laughs> and then they'll come. So, <laughs> so we just, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yep, yep. He's co- he's playing upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> and, but all these people turned up, and honest from the from the back uh, from the back of the. In fact, from the front room, if you've seen Viva Morrissey, Paul just. Uh, Looks. When he's on stage doing his Morrissey, yeah, he looks yeah. and more or less sounds exactly like Morrissey. <laughs> so, I mean, we had the, I remember the manager coming in, he was taking photos, going, and then at the end, we hadn't made quite enough money, and I, I just felt like, well, I put all the effort in. I mean, the band have put some effort in as well, <laughs> but but they got paid short as well. But the fine with that. And I didn't get anything, uh, I lost money. And you're like, well, it's us who's done all the work and we've got nothing for it we've nothing at all the venue got the sound man's been paid the venue've made a, a fortune in all the, in this venue basically being yeah. so I think we're probably about 15 or 20 people short of breaking even so I just had a massive stop and stormed out <laughs> instead of dealing with the matter I just went ah yes, and walked out yeah. and left just left it all in pieces <laughs> but um, I, I kind of I, I had to, a week later, I got back to Paul, and he just said, "I'll um, send, we'll meet halfway. I'll send you a little bit of extra money, yeah." Which is why the, the, he still comes back and plays gigs for us now. So rather than because he could have went, well, he's a prick. I'm never going back there again. What what made you continue doing it then? I mean, obviously you enjoyed doing it, but like we put them on again at uh, World Headquarters, and I think this time we actually just broke even. No, I, I think it had a lot to do with the, the venue sitting better. I was going to say, because if Doug and Parrot's full and you need to sell 20 more tickets, surely you just can't fit them in at that point? Or? Uh, well, it was. It had to be full to capacity for us to actually break even. And it was just very did you just under, Did short. you underestimate the size? We only charged a fiver. Right. Okay. Which was ridiculous. <laughs> but that was expensive. I mean, back then, I was, it was you like charging two, three quid to get in for a gig, going yeah. five with the dog and parrot, 
joking, but didn't think <laughs> people might be willing to pay a little bit more if it was for something that they really like, like 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 Morrison. What made you go to the world headquarters? In? Like, is it because um, I mean, there's a lot of venues around UK. The, is it the size of it or the? It was. I liked going. I liked using places that were a bit different. Right. I even built places that wouldn't normally have music on. Ah. Um, Police stations. <laughs> Police stations. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why you said that either. Well, yeah, but they wouldn't normally have music on. No, I suppose not. Well, I, you, no, they wouldn't, I suppose. Yeah, there you go. I was trying to be funny. Uh, it, it only made me laugh. It worked today. <laughs> so, yeah, we anyway, went to... We'll, uh, we'll forget I ever said that. Went to, like... Um, <laughs> hospital wards, that kind of place. <laughs> we went, Morrissey. We went there, yeah. <laughs> I go out tonight... <laughs> But I haven't got any lungs. <laughs> so, it was the Red Room's closed down, so we went to World Air Force. I just thought it would be a cool venue. And the, 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 uh, Tom, the manager there, was like kind of looking to kind of get more live bands on in the room downstairs as well. At the same to get time. people upstairs, I guess. Um, were, yeah, those, were those nights going okay? He just, he just, just wanted to utilise that room better, I think. Right. World headquarters does have like a DJ upstairs. And yeah, so the deal. That, I guess it's more well known. The deal for was that, we right? could yeah. basically open at 8 o'clock, have our gig. That gig could last till 4 in the morning if we so wished. Sometimes it did. <laughs> and then everybody from the gig can go upstairs if they want to carry on a party upstairs for free. Yeah. So, um,. It, it did work, but I knew that we, it, everything we did there was a success, but I knew if we just, because it was so expensive to do, I knew if just one wasn't a success, we'd be broken, that would be it. Uh, I, I think we might have had two where I'd gone, right, I can't, I can, <laughs> it could not work out once, but twice I can't do it. So um, I think it was like we did our full run of what we tied it for, um, which I think was probably about six months and then it's like right we'll have to stop doing this yeah. and I had to start going to different venues all over the place and um, but you got you got Lawrence, we, we Lawrence the, the, the Bowie experience was that a part of that that World six months like yeah oh right okay because I was there for that it was, the, it was another one kind of we did them in blocks so we did a block of gigs booked those and then Christmas would be the Morrison played and then we did another block and at the end of that uh Boy experience played. I think they might have played twice. We might have got them back as a one-off. Yeah. I think they did World Headquarters twice. And Boy experience are playing the Clooney the fourth and fifth of August, not the fifth and sixth, as I may have. Fourth and fifth of <laughs> August. Because they've twenty eighteen. Yeah, because they just did the Theatre Royal. Um, they did the City Hall. City Hall, yes. Don't have you? Do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> and, and they did well. Uh, they did very well. And was it a bit of a did gap? Was it a bit of a gap? Because he's they've he, done Sunderland he's Empire done the, this year as well. I'm, he's I'm done the Clooney like a, I know he's done the Clooney like a few times, and it's always done well. It's but always sold out. And it's not. And he said himself during his interview, it's not because Bowie's died that they're now doing big venues. Yeah. But I don't. I, I, this isn't his words, but I would say it hasn't probably hurt that no. he's the, passed the away. You know what I mean? Like we, people, we people want booked, to see it. Like, we just finalised booking. Uh, the one in 2016 
the week before Bowie died, and then That's crazy, isn't he it? died, and it's it's but strangely that day people were contacting going, "Are you alright, Martin?" You know, as if like <laughs> a family member had just died. I'm like, "Yeah, fine. I'm yeah. Why wouldn't I'm um, yeah? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm Lawrence fine. was kind of the same way. And you then, know, but like, then I was talking to Lawrence, going, "Are we still doing this?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I said, have you got this thing where people keep contacting you and asking, because I can understand it with you. And then it, I twigged that people went to contact me because I was the first person they thought of. The first person I thought of was Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah. So, yeah, we did that. We booked that. And then I re- realised, well, it's going to look like we've organised it because he's died and we want to make loads of money out of it. Yeah. Where we, we didn't want to do that. So I was careful how I promoted that. We did... <laughs> One of the, the the nice thing is that that show at the Clunny that year because it was it was quite quick as well. It was March, I think we did it. It was so long after. So we died in yeah. January. We had the show. I remember in it being March. quite an emotional. So gig, it was, to be honest, it, it was, was more like a celebration thing. Yeah. But it sold itself, and yeah. I was like, "What am I going to do then? <laughs> What's my job? <laughs> I haven't got a job to do." Ah, all right, train. There's another train. Yeah. Squeaky that one, isn't it? If you're wearing earphones, that's I a class, class 142 piercer. That's the one that uh, the government are saying that they'll get rid of in the Northern Powerhouse. It's basically a Leyland bus on wheels. <laughs> I'm not joking, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it the Thatcher's government gave us those as a stopgap 30 years ago, and they're still knocking about the atrocious things. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it just sold itself now. So, this year, I've we booked two nights to give myself a challenge. <laughs> I'm now regretting. <laughs> well, no, no, like you know, this show and uh, well, that, that one, the promo will help. And um, that the promo I did uh, in 2016 for it is I, I made. <laughs> you, you left I David made a Bowie number back. of different <laughs> posters. All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So, and they're all images of David Bowie in various parts of the career with, with the gig on it, right? And I'd put on, <laughs> I'd put on the on Twitter and Facebook, said, look. There's ten posters to collect. See if you can collect them all. And I was really interested to see if anybody would come back and say, I've got all ten, because I only made nine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this would really wind somebody up. <laughs> no, no, I don't think anybody was really that interested. But that was, it, it was, that was uh, in a way, uh, how can I muck about with this? Because I'm bored. Because <laughs> it's just <laughs> selling without me having to do anything. But I, like, I think... Uh, the, the gigs, I mean, there's still time for the gigs and there are still tickets available and everyone should go out. Oh, there's them. definitely but, still tickets like, available. I've seen the boy, ex, uh, the boy experience. experience. I was going to say extravaganza. <laughs> the boy extravaganza. Um, and, roll up, roll up. And by far the best tribute act I think I've ever seen. I found them because I was looking for a David Bowie tribute band and they were the best one I could the, find. They go above and so beyond. I've always said I would say the best in the world because they the best ones I could find on YouTube at the time. Well they, they go above and beyond with the costume changes with Costumes I, I, are amazing. I, I said to Lawrence like when I saw him at World Headquarters because the first song they opened with was Aladdin Sin and I was like, oh fuck like <laughs> ambitious. Right, okay, right. I'll, um so there's a genuine love of Bowie as well. I've ever told you about being backstage at the Clunny and um, there was just a ladder, a ladder would lean against the wall just behind where you come behind the stage, and uh, there was a ladder there. And we cleared that area out, especially so Lawrence could do costume costume changes quickly. Right. 
uh, <laughs> and there was just a ladder there and he'd utilised that for all of the shoes <laughs> so there was like some platform boots and everything <laughs> and it just went up in, in stages of Bowie's career <laughs> in shoes that'd be a great Bowie picture. shoe ladder I wish I'd took a photograph it was very funny <laughs> <laughs> I loved that well, and the, the, the great thing about it as well there's no song off limits like as long as it's playable and he told me as well, even with like the electronic stuff that he ever did, if they do any of it, they do it with real musicians. Like, you won't use a backing track yeah. like, at all. I'm sure, I'd, well, I'm sure I've heard them do uh, Hollow Space Boy before, they do it very well. With real, I mean, it, and again, they have done the bigger venues, but there's something about when they did Starman at the Clooney the first time, just it goes through you, like the sound. Like the sound's yeah. incredible for a start, and just like. If you close your eyes, you would think Bowie is on stage. And even if you open your eyes, because he looks like Bowie. <laughs> all it, I've always like, said, it's crazy. All, like, look, have a couple of pints, we'll dim the lights s- for you. Squint your eyes a bit. Like. <laughs> and you, you, you're more or less there. <laughs> and it's, honestly, it's worth it. The, the music, they're the, all brilliant musicians. They the really, really are. And um, yeah. Lawrence's got a brilliant, like, kind of frontman personality of his own. And... Um, the, co- the costumes are really amazing. Lawrence's girlfriend makes all the costumes especially for oh, him. Oh, really? I d- yeah. yeah, they don't, like, he doesn't buy them off a shelf. They're made especially for him. And uh, his, he's got a huge wardrobe that he obviously decides on each tour or each gig what the songs they're going to do and which costumes he's going to play yeah. and how they're going to do those changeovers. Crazy. And it, it's, it's a, it, that's a treat. So even if you don't like David Bowie's music or yeah. you've never heard of him, it's still a spectacular thing to watch. And, and there's a special deal on with these gigs where it's, it's £15. £15 for one night. So Saturday's £15, Sunday's £15. Or you can, it, I wish I hadn't done it as well. But what I was going to do, right, <laughs> is do two nights. You can come to two nights for 25 quid. But once you put that through the fence with the seller's fees, which I don't get any of, yeah. it was like £27.50. So I was like, a grand saving of £2.50. <laughs> So I made it a bit less. Uh-huh. So it's fifteen pounds for one night, but you can come to both nights for twenty-two pounds fifty. Or tw- actually, I just made it simple: twenty twenty-two pounds. Yeah. That's far too cheap. <laughs> it, it is for what you get. Do that; it's a bargain. And the but think of me when you're doing <laughs> it. And the thing is, as well, it's not like you're going to go and see the same night twice. Like the first night is going to be all the hits, and I mean it's. The breadth of his career, like from the seventies to up yeah, until start Black with, Star and the, stuff like that. Do, like um, so the first half is always early seventies, yeah, uh, to mid seventies, and then the second half is like best of the rest. Yeah, it's right up to yeah, right up to Black Star. And, and then the second night, and the, uh, I don't know too much about it yet, but I know that they're doing a full album. Um, We'll probably well, say that. No, the, full, the full album's going to be Ziggy Stardust. We can't say Ziggy. And the spiders from Mars. Okay, so it's... You've got to give it full title. You can't say it's going to be Ziggy Star. It's the, the rise <laughs> and fall of Ziggy Stardust <laughs> and the spiders from Mars. Yes. And, uh, and a In lot, full. And a lot of rarities as well. Uh, and then, yeah, they'll the come band. back and play stuff that they uh, don't play much or they haven't ever played ever. Yeah. I'm very, very excited about that. Right. Um... And I can imagine. Do people travel from outside of Newcastle for this? Oh, I guess they tour around quite a bit. So, um, well, it depends how far away from Newcastle you. We've had people from as far as Morpeth or, <laughs> or Darlington. Not from um, like France. Um, I don't know. 
I don't really get a chance to talk to that many people. I probably I'm, bu- talk to I'm more. quite busy. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be on the door, so you know. I'll, you uh, probably talk to more people than I do. That is true. I, it's, it feels a lot like being at your own wedding because people want, <laughs> because I insist on being support. Your, yeah, I get, I get, I get up and play a few songs first, and at some point I will make sure everybody knows that I'm the promoter. I did this, <laughs> and then it's kind of from then on, you, you, it's like being at your own wedding. You don't really get round everybody. No. But I, I think it was last time we had people stood out. There was people stood outside with little placards and cardboards asking people for spare tickets. Wow. They didn't bother coming inside to ask because we would have sold them two tickets and he bothered. It's <laughs> like, yeah, we'll just go two over. It's all right. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but t- tickets are selling well, no matter how much you want to get down about it. But like. Yeah, I've done well. But it, there are still. This is the this is the point. You set yourself a challenge. Yeah. It's got to be a challenge, hasn't it? You can't just make it easy. That's true. You, I, I think there was a certain part of us just thought, well, I'll just pop that up on the internet, then I'll sit and watch them fly out the way. Uh, yeah, I realised I've got to do a bit of work to promote it. <laughs> People do have to actually know it exists. Dave Boy needs to die again. I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't think about me, does he, when he's... <laughs> dying once, dying. and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, but your music is available where? It's available on the internet. That's the internet. Yeah. I've used that line so many times in Kings I've used I just said there's no point in, in, in <laughs> giving out loads of links. You might as well just Google it. Yeah. Google meiosis, that's M-E-I-S-O... I can't spell meiosis. M-E-I-O-S-I-S. Yes. Meiosis, or meiosis, if you like. Are you, like, happy that you... Call yourself something that people are going to be like, how do you spell that? But people don't understand or how t- what it is or, or or how to say it yeah. or how to spell it. Yeah. No, I'm not happy with it, but <laughs> once you've now. done it for nine, 20 years, it's difficult to change. But you need to do a Ziggy, you'd just be like, not only is this a that show. Yeah, the thing is, Ziggy lasted like two or three years. A bit late for doing a Ziggy now, aren't I? Well, no, people won't expect it more. You know what I mean? <laughs> people won't expect it because they don't know what it is in the first place. Oh, that was uh, yeah, mate. That was unexpected because I knew nothing about it in the first. Place. <laughs> but yeah, your music is available where? It's uh, musicbymeiosis.com. And links will be below the show, along with links to buy tickets for the Bowie. Yeah, you can get to just about everything from that website. Yes, yeah. On the internet, I just think you might as well Google meiosis. You'll probably get up with it. You'll probably come well, up with listen, a science lesson. Everyone's but listening to a point, podcast, yeah. and you've got your ears listening, but you've got your hands and your eyes free to do other things while you listen. So you should be you should, typing in well, stuff while you're listening you, to the podcast. I, I sit down in uh, a wingback armchair to listen to podcasts, and what I'll do is I'll have a little pull up a little table uh-huh. with some crackers <laughs> and a little <laughs> half half glass of red wine and a little notepad, and I'll listen. To, and if there's anything. Of a uh, uh, note that I'd like to make a note of. <laughs> if there's anything of interest there, uh-huh. I'll just I'll get I'll go into the other room and th- to get me pencil. I was like, why did I, I always forget to put me pencil down? And then come back with me pencil, <laughs> and I'll write that down neatly, uh, so I can look it up in the <laughs> library uh, at a at a later date when uh, at my convenience. <laughs> yeah, the least convenient thing to do. But at your convenience. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> but thank you for being on the show. This, is the, this uh, is the second one we've done. The first time we did it, it was in a noisy cafe, and we we're like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. 
and then it wasn't well, fine. Really. I haven't heard it, but like you said, it I haven't. Was. Heard, I think it, we could make it fine, but I can't be bothered. <laughs> this one was better. It is better. It's nicer, isn't it? Yeah, and we can, we've basically had the same conversation twice, and it hasn't felt like it. So that's all right. Yeah, I'd have the same conversation over and over again. Anyway, my memory's not that, <laughs> not all that really. <laughs> but yeah, uh, go and see the Bowie experience. Come and you've, see the Bowie experience with my as support. Yes. Not with backing tracks, with me and a beautiful, wonderful, and sexy piano player. He's from Durham. <laughs> <laughs> but he's Oriental. He's Oriental mentally. He's uh, t- raised from Taiwan. Okay, you gotta have a Thai. You, you big racist. Okay. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, I, I think it kind of works having like because your stuff's a bit arty, and then you've got a. Ray actually play. Uh, you've got a Thai. It's worth, com- Ray, it, it's worth coming early to watch play Ray play piano. Never mind me singing or, or playing guitar. Or watch play. <laughs> watch Ray watch play. play watch, piano watch play. Because he actually, music. <laughs> he, he doesn't know it. Really, but he does play it in the style of Mike Garson, which is it's interesting. He does have a very forceful, but I don't know if that's because he's playing your songs. Do you, know, do you know, like, um, Oh You Pretty Things? Do you know that kind of because yeah. Bowie plays the piano for that, doesn't he? But like, you can, uh, yes, but he can barely play back then, so it's like, dun, 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 dun. like, I don't know if that is like an influence that has come out in your piano with his songs, with your songs that he plays. What, what you're saying is Ray plays like Early Bowie morning. playing the piano but badly because no, he can't better. really play it. No, but better because like but the your songs like that is like maybe sort of, like if he was like all flourishy It's a treat to watch. Like, I sometimes think we should turn the keyboards around so you can actually see what he's doing because he's playing two keyboards. He's actually playing like about three different parts. Because I'll just send him the songs and could you work this out into a piano part and he'll work out the bass uh, the strings and the piano and play them all simultaneously, <laughs> uh, which I didn't think was humanly possible, but it turns out it is. Maybe he's not human, maybe he's a robot. I'm rehearsing with him tomorrow, I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah. Ray, Ray, question number one, before we get started, are you a robot? If he wasn't in your band, I would definitely nick him for my band. If, if I'm never seen again after tomorrow evening, it's because I've asked Ray if he's a robot, and he is, and he's killed me. <laughs> Then I'll have him in the band. I won't question his robotness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright, fair enough. Yeah. Robotist. I was gonna say, yeah. Robotonist. Yeah, this is getting dragged on. Though, so yeah, we, we should. If you're, still listening to this, if you're still listening past the plugs. Well done. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you very much. I'm going to shake your hand. No one can hear it. Shake, Actually, shake. let's hear the, the slap of hands. There you go. Edit that out, it'll be like, oh my god! <laughs> no, the trains will have done that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.